0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Zero Waste Countdown podcast and radio show. Today, we're speaking with Paul Accioni. He has over 48 years in the nuclear and fossil fuel energy industry. He's an engineer and a management consultant as well. Paul, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Laura. How are you today?
0: I'm doing really well, thank you. And I'm excited to learn more about nuclear because this has been a, a bit of a focus lately of the show because I think it could be the answer to uh, to some of our current issues that we're facing around the world um so you've been involved with nuclear for a very very long time which is is awesome um so can you kind of paint a little bit of a picture of how the nuclear industry in canada has changed over the last several decades
1: yeah sure nuclear power uh, started a little after the second world war when uh, primarily the u.s government was pushing uh, the use of nuclear energy for peaceful purposes rather than weapons purposes, and so from the 1950s yeah. uh, on, uh, there was a large nuclear power program uh, developed, following on from the work that was done for the uh, for the military. And uh, you know, society society was looking for uh, an emission-free source of uh, energy, and and so it was quite an exciting time for for those of us uh, that worked worked in the industry between uh, 1950 and say 1980 uh, as the plants came online uh, people were quite quite happy to see the plants uh, producing energy with uh, no no emissions uh, air quality improved
0: So back in the 60s uh, emissions were a big concern as well
1: Yeah we we were burning uh well And Ontario was industrializing, and we didn't have enough water resources like in Quebec, so we were starting to build coal-fired generating stations. Then in the 70s, the government got concerned about the high emissions from coal and started to build uh, natural gas-fired plants. But they also uh, were building nuclear uh, by that time, and it wasn't quite... At the time, it wasn't quite certain whether nuclear could could uh, deliver the uh, reliability that uh, that the fossil fuel plants were were uh, delivering, and so uh, the government kind of hedged their bets and they and they invested in both gas and nuclear. But then, when nuclear delivered much better than they expected, then uh, the government started uh, a large uh, nuclear build program.
0: Mm-hmm. But That's that program.
1: Cool. Uh, yeah, that program kind of finished finished in the uh, 1980s uh, because load growth started to reduce and uh, nuclear power plant costs were starting to get uh, higher. Um, as, as you know, around uh, 1979, we had the accident at Three Mile Island and that kind of cooled off the public's interest in nuclear. And uh, because of the reduced uh, work uh, that was being done in the nuclear industry across the world, it became increasingly difficult to build these plants on schedule and on budget, since you're you're constantly having to retrain your suppliers if there aren't enough of them working on a continuous basis. So, work got a little tense in terms of stressful between the 1980s and the 2000-2010 period. So it it wasn't as fun. <laughs> It wasn't as fun working in the nuclear industry in the latter year, in the more recent years. But in the early years, it was a great, a great time. We were developing new technology and having a lot of fun.
0: So it's got more negative, I guess.
1: Well, yeah, the Three Mile Island was the first of uh, three big uh, reactor accidents. Uh, the other one was Chernobyl in the late '80s, and uh, Fukushima more recently in 2011. Uh, the 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 reports from all three of the of the investigations uh, basically uh, pinned it down to a poor safety culture at those three sites, uh, inadequate attention to safety.
0: Um. Yeah. So Three Mile Island is in was it Tennessee or North Carolina? Three Three Mile Island. I think Tennessee. Uh, three
1: Mile was Pens- Pennsylvania.
0: Oh, Pennsylvania. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that was kind of a big one. That's a little bit close to home, I guess, for a lot of us. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that, and, that,
1: that caused a lot of damage, but very little radiation actually got outside the plant.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I think that all three disasters have possibly been overblown a little bit. Like, I think that they were pretty bad, uh, but there weren't a lot of deaths or anything like that. And so I don't think the fear of nuclear power is as warranted as a lot of people think it is. Um, but we're trying That's to kind of thing. find out, right? Um, and and get experts like you on the show to to tell us a little bit more about it, of course. So let's talk about the waste part a little bit because that's another issue, obviously, especially for us that care about the environment. So where does Ontario store its nuclear waste?
1: Well, there there's three uh, categories of waste coming out of a nuclear plant: the low level, intermediate level, and high level waste. Uh, the high level waste is primarily this the uh, used fuel that comes out of the reactor. It's it's uh, Quite quite uh, radioactive for a number of years. That one is stored at the site in concrete and steel-lined uh, canisters. Uh, so uh, until we have a permanent uh, disposal uh, site that's uh, that's approved by the public, uh, the intermediate and low-level waste is uh, shipped in uh, in uh, proper containers to the uh, Bruce uh, site, uh, where we have uh, the Western. Uh, Uh, nuclear uh, waste uh, organization is uh, the waste, uh, sorry, Ontario, Ontario, uh, Ontario Hydro runs a waste uh, site that the Bruce, Bruce site separate from Bruce power. And, uh, and that site uh, stores the low and intermediate level waste.
0: Mm -hmm. And then I think, I think people are maybe contemplating the idea of digging really deep and making some sort of Plan that way? Yeah.
1: That, well, that's that's the current uh, reference plan. Here, here in uh, in Canada, we have uh, an adaptive phased management program uh, with the Nuclear Waste Management Organization. That's a federally incorporated organization that looks after the the used fuel from all all the plants in in Canada. Uh, the that particular organization plans to get a deep geological repository approved and store the waste for a period of time where it can be retrieved so that if technology for recycling fuel is developed, the fuel can be retrieved. But after about 100 or 150 years, if that technology has not been developed or the public doesn't want it developed, then the site will be sealed permanently, and uh, and uh, and the waste will stay uh, in in a rock uh, formation. That's uh, running, well, it's it, it it's pretty deep. I think it's about 600 meters uh, below below the surface.
0: Wow, yeah, that's that's pretty deep. Like, I wonder if some old mines or something would work well, well they, for they, that. They
1: would have used them. Yeah, they would have used old mines if uh, if the mines were. Leak free, but unfortunately, a lot of the mines uh, in in Ontario have uh, fissures in the rock, and and so uh, they're not they're not uh, solid. Uh, so they're looking for a site in Ontario where the rock is uh, is perfectly solid, so that when they when they build the repository, they're not they're not going to have any uh, leakage paths out of the site.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that that makes sense. I I've been to the Britannia mine, which is between Vancouver and Whistler. I don't know if you've ever been there but uh they have like really bad leaking problems into how sound and they kind of have to be cleaning it up forever
1: right right. a lot lot of the mines
0: so i guess that maybe wouldn't have been the greatest idea then to use mines but i think people are worried about the waste maybe they don't understand the technology as much so do you think you could explain it to us in like some really simple terms just basically how a nuclear plant works
1: yeah sure uh, a nuclear reactor is is simply a source of high temperature heat the fission that takes place produces heat and we remove the heat uh, with uh, water at the pr- at the present time so the heat is used uh, to boil uh, water uh, to make steam the steam is then used to spin a steam turbine um, which is connected to a generator uh, that that makes electricity as it rotates so it's really quite quite straightforward uh, of course, in the detail, there's a lot more systems in the plant to protect the public against uh, radiation and, and, and uh, reactor uh, accidents. So the, the plant is, is quite complicated. That's why it's expensive. But the process is actually quite straightforward. And uh, a nuclear plant can not only produce electricity, but it can also supply uh, emission-free heat if we choose to use the steam or hot water directly from the plant. And uh, for economic uh, reasons, uh, thermal loads uh, would would have to be close to the nuclear plant because you can't ship uh, hot hot water or steam very far from the plant. So, uh, you know, back uh, back some people may not know, but back in the 1970s and 80s, early 90s, we had one of the largest uh, district heating systems at the Bruce site, the Bruce A reactors were supplying steam to the Bruce heavy water plants to make heavy water. And of course also the, to heat the buildings uh, and provide them hot water on the plant site. The Bruce uh, the Bruce A plant also uh, supplied some emission free heat to a local agricultural energy center just south of the plant site. So it was quite an impressive site at the time. And uh, we produced an awful lot of uh, energy up there for for those steam users that had zero emission, which was kind of nice.
0: Yeah, that's a neat thing to think about as well. You know that you probably think that this is ridiculous, but I I envision like a blue lagoon, like you know Iceland's blue lagoon. If you could have these giant kind of outdoor pools for Canadians <laughs> to go to go sit in some warm water when it's uh, when we have to deal with winter, I'm always looking for well, for yeah. different ways. Yeah.
1: Yeah, well, you can use the heat to warm up something, but you have you have mm-hmm. to enclose it a bit; otherwise, it gets pretty steamy in the wintertime. <laughs> it's
0: just gonna all go away. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Anyway. But but you mentioned uh, the the Gen four reactors um, when you emailed me, and that it's possible to recycle that nuclear waste. So, are Gen fours very different than a typical nuclear reactor that we already have in Canada?
1: Yeah, the the Gen four reactors uh, typically don't use water uh, for cooling. Um, the The existing reactors were developed uh, from the military uh, program that was used to develop uh, reactors for the submarines and uh, and the aircraft carriers, military applications. And of course, they're sitting on an ocean, so they don't have a problem with cooling water. There's cooling water all around the reactor. Uh, the reactor is sitting sitting low in the in the boat, so. If you ever have a problem, there's plenty of water to keep the reactor cool. So it's almost impossible not to have cooling water on a submarine or an aircraft carrier. The problem is when you move that technology onto land, you have to be very careful that you don't lose cooling water to the reactor. Otherwise, the reactor will melt. That's what happened in uh, in Fukushima. That's what happened in in Three Mile Island and also in Chernobyl. Actually, Chernobyl was a more serious accident. They had an unstable reactor and, 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 and operated the reactor under a test program in an unstable region and they lost control of the reactor. So it kind of blew up on them. But um, most most uh, reactors are not unstable, uh, they, but, but they do require cooling water. And if they lose the cooling water because of the high energy density, it's very easy for them to melt uh, without cooling water. The Gen 4 reactors don't use cooling water. They use uh, liquid uh, metals or liquid salts or gas uh, to cool the reactors. So uh, the Gen Gen 4 reactors, uh, because they use a a different cooling technology, they have very different uh, safety um, characteristics. And uh, typically, if they get too hot, they shut themselves down. They they don't uh, keep going until they melt. So the, the problem with the Gen 4 technologies is it's a little bit more difficult to develop. Um, uh, cooling a reactor with uh, liquid metals or, or molten salts or, or uh, gas such as helium uh, is, is a little bit more um, uh, challenging in terms of the engineering um, and systems uh, to make sure that everything is, uh, is, is working uh, well. And then of course you have to con- you have to take that heat across to the other side where the turbine is. And typically the turbines like to operate on steam. So so you have to convert it at some point over to steam somewhere else. And therefore you need a an intermediate boiler to, to take the heat from the primary side, which will be either molten metal or, or molten salts, and and produce steam on the secondary side. So it, it, it increases the complexity of the plant. Makes it a little bit more expensive, and um, that's why they were not developed uh, first. Uh, the, the water-cooled reactors were developed first, but unfortunately, water-cooled reactors have certain safety and 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 fuel uh, characteristics that the public doesn't like. Uh, water water-cooled uh, reactors, uh, as I said, could melt and and have an accident that way, and and they they also are not very efficient users of the actual uranium that's uh, in the reactor uh, only a small fraction of the uranium is actually used before the fission products contaminate the fuel and then the fuel has to be replaced with fresh fuel so so they don't they, they're not very good utilizers of the fuel and and that means you're producing a lot more waste with a water reactor than you are with some of the gen 4 reactors that use uh, um, these these exotic uh, coolants they they are more efficient uh, uh at using fuel
0: oh okay and so it's not really that they're recycling the waste it's just that they have found a way to is it uranium that they use in gen four as well uranium well,
1: there's uh two fuels that they're looking at one is uranium and the other one is uh is thorium thorium can in inside a reactor thorium will convert to uranium 233 um, so it 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 will. Per, uh, thorium is not fissile. It's it's a fertile element. It can it can be made fissileable. Uh, that's probably a terrible word. Fissile material <laughs> will come out of come out of thorium. It's it's called ur, uranium two thirty three. Once it's fissile, then you can have a, a fission take place. Um, the the uranium reactors run on U two thirty five. Uh, that's that's in the natural uranium. Natural uranium has about 0.7% U-235. And uh, for a uh, heavy water-moderated reactor like the CANDU reactors here in Canada, you don't need to enrich it. But uh, in the uh, U.S. designs, uh, you need to enrich it because water, uh, which is used to moderate the uh, neutrons, slow them down so that they fission well. Uh, water, water absorbs uh, some of the... Um, the neutrons and so you need to enrich the fuel to make it a little bit more re- active so that uh, the loss of neutrons is overcome by the enrichment so u.s reactors are enriched uh, typically to about three three and a half percent so that uh, they operate with light water rather than heavy water but uh, yeah the the water the water reactors and unfortunately uh they don't they don't consume the fuel as efficiently as the uh, as the exotic coolants in the gen 4 but even even the gen 4 reactors at some point uh, you you um, you get enough fission product buildup that that there's not enough reactivity to keep the reactor going so you still need to take that fuel out uh, it will have consumed much more of the fuel instead of the the, the you know the one percent in a can-do or the or the 3% in a, in a U.S. reactor, um, it, it will have consumed much more typically uh, 15, uh, maybe maybe 20% of the fuel. But you still need to remove the um, fission products from that used fuel so that you can put it back into the reactor and burn the rest of it. You follow? Okay. So recycling, yep. recycling will th- – theoretically, if you recycle uh, – uh, uh used fuel you can burn all of it which means you get 100 percent of the energy out of the original mined uranium right now we're only we're only using one percent of the mined uranium
0: so that would kind of mean less waste right for the gen force
1: yeah the gen fours with with recycling would be a hundred times less waste
0: wow nice that's that's good then yeah
1: the other thing to remember too is uh some of the gen fours use um, technologies that that uh, burn burn uh, the actinides uh, so if you're if you're running uranium um, some of the uranium absorbs neutrons and it becomes plutonium neptunium and a number of other heavy elements it's those heavy elements that create the high radioactivity that lasts for a hundred thousand years and why we're talking about deep geological repositories um, if you if you can if if you can develop a, a fast neutron uh, Gen four reactor and that's one of the technologies that's being worked on, the fast neutrons uh, actually burn the actinides that are heavier than uranium, and so what comes out of a of a, a, a uranium fueled fast reactor is a relatively low radioactivity level. Uh, the fuel the used fuel that comes out of a fast reactor. Uh, comes down to natural uranium radioactivity levels in about uh, three hundred years so you don't have to wait for a hundred thousand years
0: that's good because then it, it burns yeah. off
1: the, uh, the long-lived, yeah it burns the long-lived actinides the heavier than uranium isotopes it it, it, it burn the, the fast neutrons will burn those just as well as it burns the regular u two thirty five so it's a different like i say it's a different technology and uh, and so the, it it addresses a number of issues that the public is concerned about with uh, nuclear power.
0: We're very concerned about the waste, right? And and it sounds like Gen Four certainly will help with the waste issue. And then, of course, it's good to know that the government, the Canadian government, is looking for you know deep deep underground places to put it, um, and that it's safely stored in in the the Bruce facility. Um, but you know, waste aside, do you think that a clean future is going to require nuclear? Like, is this our our best option going forward for a clean planet?
1: Well, the the a lot of people are hoping that renewables uh, will do the job, but renewables are intermittent; they're they're not uh, dependable. Uh, you you know yourself, you can have periods where there's no wind and no sun, and and so to make to make. Uh, Energy dependable from renewables. You need a lot of storage. Storage at the moment is very expensive, especially if you want to store more than an hour or so. So the 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 problem is that we don't have a good clean source of energy that's dependable, that's, that's uh, available when you flip the switch. And uh, and uh, the only one, the only two that we have. Are hydroelectric and nuclear, and uh, we don't have much hydroelectric in Ontario. We've used the good sites already. Uh, the poorer sites are up north, far north, and it's just too expensive to bring that power down to southern Ontario. So um, we really don't have much choice uh, if you want if you want clean energy um, and dependably, but but to use uh, nuclear. You can use the renewables where the load is not uh, is not requiring dependable energy. For for example, uh, renewables will work fine charging electric vehicles because the vehicles have batteries built in as part of the vehicle. And and so you can store that energy in the vehicle when the wind and the sun are available, and you can drive the car uh, at other times, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Industry needs power 24 hours a day, and to make it available 24 hours a day, uh, it requires uh, prohibitively expensive amounts of storage. So nuclear is the in places like Ontario that don't have the hydraulic resources. uh, Nuclear is the heavy uh, lifter. Um, A lot of of people don't realize that because nuclear has has such a high capacity factor, typically 85 to 90% of the time it's running, that it actually reduces emissions for every kilowatt of capacity that you install. Nuclear reduces emissions six times better than solar, uh, 2.6 times better than, than the wind, and 1.7 times better than hydroelectric because of that high capacity factor. So if you want to reduce emissions in a hurry, the, your your best technology is nuclear by far, and uh, so yeah, I think I think for the foreseeable future, until storage gets very very cheap and efficient, I think we're we're gonna have to use nuclear uh, to take us to certainly twenty twenty forty twenty fifty. I don't I don't see storage coming down probably by a factor of one hundred in cost in that time period. So so we need we need something to get us uh, cleaned up. Uh, until storage gets cheap enough to, to make renewables uh, participate in in a larger a larger percentage Other, otherwise you're not going to have reliable energy which means you're not going to be able to support your industrial uh, your industrial machine machineries, machinery machinery in Ontario and and you're not going to be able to support 24/7 operations like hospitals and and traffic lights and stuff like that
0: yeah, that's what I was thinking about as hospitals, uh, especially, you know, with COVID, we're all thinking about our medical care a little bit more, and it would be very disturbing if we had power outages at the hospitals, right? I think that would be pretty scary. Even at your own house, it's very uncomfortable when the power goes off for a few hours. You you know, you can't really run your water when <laughs> when the pressure tank runs out and, and you know, your heat is out, like everything is out, and it's yep. it, it can be quite... Uh, quite annoying i think that number where you, where you said solar panels are like six times kind of worse than the the nuclear um i think that was for emissions was that for emissions
1: for em- yeah for emissions so for every kilowatt let's say you want to install a kilowatt of solar yeah a kilowatt of nuclear will will reduce emissions six times uh, more than yeah. solar because solar in ontario has only a 15% capacity factor it, do- it doesn't run at night yeah doesn't run when it's cloudy nuclear runs all the time so all yeah. the time it's running, it's it's just taking emissions right out of the environment, right?
0: But does that probably include emissions from like making solar panels? Because we've talked about this before where they're, you know, you have to you have to mine for the materials, so they're difficult to build in solar panels. They also have a waste factor, so if they get damaged or when they're done, we're probably not going to repair well, them. We're probably just gonna landfill them. Yeah.
1: Well, it would it would be better if we made the solar panels in Ontario where the electricity is clean. But unfortunately, solar panels are made in China mm. where they use coal to make them. So that's kind of a silly situation where you're you're using dirty electricity to make solar panels <laughs> in China rather than clean electricity in Quebec and Ontario to make solar panels. Wow, but, interesting you know, labor point. is cheaper in China. Yeah, labor is cheaper in China. And so the dollar wins. And, and that's the problem with our system uh, economically is that the dollar determines everything rather than the environmental requirements. Uh, we don't have carbon pricing uniformly across the world. If we did, the, the panels would be made in Ontario and Quebec if you have mm-hmm. a high high carbon tax uh, on people who use use electricity. And, and it takes a lot of electricity, as you say, to make solar panels. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, we, we do some, some really silly things uh, in the world because of the dollar and uh, for the price, the price of stuff. And uh, that's just yeah. unfortunately the way it is.
0: I'm actually not a very big fan of the carbon tax because I feel like it throws workers under the bus. And in my area, there's a lot of people that need trucks you know, to to do plumbing yeah, yeah. and construction and trades and air conditioning. And, um, you know, there's there's all these things. And, like, I feel like they're disproportionately affected by the carbon tax, whereas if you have a lot of money, you can either live close to your work in a downtown place with a million-dollar condo and, and walk or bike, um, or, you know, yeah, like, it doesn't yeah. matter if it goes up very much, you know. So I kind of worry about well, the was, carbon I was, I was tax. Off.
1: Yeah, I was offering a market solution, but but there is another solution that we use here in Ontario before carbon pricing, and that was we set regulations. We said no use of coal for making electricity, period, full stop. And that immediately takes coal out of the business. And, and we also said we're going to use the gas plants for backup and for, for peak load. We're not going to use it for base load in Ontario. So we made a decision in Ontario through regulations, not through carbon taxes, but through regulations, that hydroelectric and nuclear would be used for baseload electricity, and and uh, renewables could be used for for peak load, and they would be backed up by natural gas. And so in Ontario, we have a grid that's ninety five percent emission free right now, and uh, you know sixty over sixty percent of the energy comes from nuclear, twenty five percent comes from hydroelectric. So eighty over eighty five percent of our energy comes from nuclear and hydroelectric. So Ontario is one of the few jurisdictions in the world that's actually achieved the IPCC 80 uh, percent reduction in emissions, 35 years ahead of 2040, and they did it by increasing their nuclear capacity the last 10-15 uh, years. Mm-hmm. So, so for base load for base load demand, hydroelectric and nuclear are the only way to go. Um, uh, renewables are fine for peak because you can use natural gas to back them up, and the gas doesn't doesn't emit if it's not running when the when the renewables are working but when the renewables are not working the gas is there to give you the dependability right mm, the yeah. last thing we want is people running out buying these these small generators and using them to make electricity when when the power goes out because those things emit a lot more emissions than a central generating station mm-hmm. you know a, a natural gas generating station is pretty efficient and relatively clean compared to these Little machines you buy at, at at Home Depot or or Canadian Tire and stick them stick them in your your uh, you know in, 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 in your garage and then use them for emergencies. Those those are pretty dirty machines.
0: Yeah, and they're very expensive. And whenever I've used a generator, I always like have trouble with it because you don't use it for years and years, and then all of a sudden you need it, and you're trying to start yeah. it and, and get it working. Laura, you're supposed to test it a
1: couple
0: of times a year. <laughs> <laughs> actually I don't have one, but you know when I've when I've been at you know events and stuff. But yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I agree with that. That it's it would be nice if we could just rely on the clean grid instead of scrambling because I think the last thing we want is to have these power outages like what we're happening in California. I think that they can be very dangerous for people who are on things that support their their you know a breathing machine or or dialysis or something like people yeah. are dependent yeah. their lives are yeah, dependent
1: Calif- yeah california did something really silly a few years ago I, I don't know if you know the history and what caused the blackout in california
0: well i think it's ex- they know, weren't want to talk they, about it
1: but
0: sure yeah i think my understanding is they weren't maintaining their their lines and so they had too much like debris and they weren't maintaining their their forest so there's too much like Stuff laying around, and so the the neglected lines had become a fire danger during peak wind time. Is that is that that's, what you're thinking? That's or one,
1: that's, no, that's one of the problems where they weren't they weren't doing proper forest management, and the fires that caused them to isolate people when they're, there's a hazard a hazard that uh, they don't they don't want to start fires from sparking lines. That's one problem. The other, the other, I thought you were talking about the, the blackout, the, the rotating blackouts that happened a couple of, about a month ago. Uh, what what happened in California a couple a couple of months ago is they ran out of capacity uh, because they they lost they lost, uh, they lost uh, some some renewable generation and they didn't have the backup to back up the renewable generation. Uh, what 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 happened several years ago is they shut down uh, a couple of nuclear plants and then replaced it with renewables. Well, you can't replace a nuclear plant that's dependable with renewables that are not dependable. You have to provide a backup source with the renewables. They didn't want to spend the money on more gas plants to back up the renewables. So what they did is they contracted for power from their neighbors. But they did not contract for reliable power from their neighbors, not what we call non-interruptible power. They contracted for interruptible power, the the cheap stuff that you can buy any time on, on the grid for, for next to nothing, typically under a penny a kilowatt hour, but they can cut it off if they don't have it that day because it's interruptible. It's not dependable. Is that so like wind, wind and solar? Wind and solar, well, usually? It, well, it could, it, could, it could be anything. It could be anything. But then if they need it, they won't give it to you, right? So you've got this contract running for several years where you're using interruptible power and you're using it all the time. And after a while, you think it's dependable. It's not dependable if, if there's a problem. So, what happened in California, they had a heat wave that affected them and several states around them. So, the other states pulled the plug on them, they wouldn't give them the power because they needed it for themselves. So, California didn't have dependable generation, or dependable supply contracts with these utilities. And so they pulled the plug on California and says, well, look, we need it for ourselves. we got a heat wave. We can't give it to you. So California didn't build a backup for their renewables. They didn't contract for re- dependable power from their neighbors. They opted to go with intermittent power. And then when a heat wave hit, that intermittent power disappeared. They ran out of capacity and they had to cut people off. So they ended up with some rotating blackouts because they, they ran out of of, of capacity. To support the renewables. So if you're going to if you're going to go to renewables, that's fine. But make sure you put in either the backup generation like natural gas or the storage to make sure that when the renewables are not there, that you can still deliver the load. You follow?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think they're going to close uh, Diablo Canyon as well. I think that was on the block to close. Yeah, they're, which- they're-
1: that's right. They're talking about shutting those two units down. And when they do that, I hope they've learned their lesson from shutting down San Onofre. You you don't shut down a nuke and replace it re- renewables only. You have to provide dependable source to replace a dependable source.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, and hopefully... They, they
1: learned their lesson the hard way. Well, they actually... The utility didn't pay for it. The, the people that got cut off paid for it because they had losses yep. as a result, right?
0: Yeah, it's the people, yeah, that have to suffer from that. And, you know, we've got one scheduled to close. I think it's 2024 Pickering here in Ontario. They're talking about closing that down. And so, you know, I've been kind of like thinking, well, how can we save Pickering? But it sounds like we're not going to save Pickering. Is is that right? Can you tell us a little bit about what's happening with that shutdown?
1: Yeah, the, the Pickering plant was the first uh, large-scale nuclear plant that was designed in the 60s, Pickering A. And then in in the seventies we designed Pickering B, essentially repeating Pickering A. Pickering A was not designed uh, to be easily refurbished. There's there's lots of uh, equipment in the plant, primarily inside the nuclear stuff is all inside containment, so you have to work inside containment. It's 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 a, a very expensive plant to refurbish. So what 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 happened is they they did a. a a couple of refurbishments uh, about uh, 10, 12 years ago. and uh, they found out that it, it, it is very expensive to refurbish uh, a Pickering design. So they they made a decision that it was uneconomic to refurbish uh, the, the plant uh, another time for the Pickering A units and 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 they weren't willing to, to even refurbish it the first time on the B units. So Pickering will be shut down on, and, um, and when it is, We have to replace it with something. So we we have some choices. We could replace Pickering with nuclear. uh, But at the moment, we have excess generation in the Ontario system. We have a fair bit of natural gas generation that's sitting around waiting for renewables not to produce. So those plants don't get used very much, Uh, typically less than about 20% of the time those plants are running. Uh, So in fact, I think it's less than that now. So those plants are just sitting around doing nothing. The government has decided that in the interest of lowering electricity costs, they're not going to replace Pickering with a new nuclear plant. They're going to replace Pickering with natural gas plants. Now, the, the, the good news is it's going to keep electricity prices lower. The bad news is emissions are going to go up almost uh, three times. So we're 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 going to replace a, a clean source of energy with a a somewhat dirty source of energy. A gas gas emits about 400 grams of CO2 and a little bit of particulate uh, and NOx, um, whereas coal is about uh, two and a half times worse. So it's a good thing we're not bringing the coal back, but but uh, the, the gas plants are not are not uh, that clean. So unfortunately uh, by by leaning on our existing gas capacity uh, to save a little money we're going to we're going to raise our emissions uh, quite substantially over the next uh, uh, 10 years so hopefully at some at some point uh, these new gen 4 reactors will come along at a price that the utilities are happy with and they'll start to replace the natural gas plants
0: yeah i think it's sad though a little bit that we're losing Pickering, I just kind of see nuclear as this thing from, like you said, post post World War II. This time where I think technology and development was really exciting, and now we're like not as excited. Like Elon Musk, I think, is a good example of someone who's really excited and developing and going forward and pushing technology. And then there seems to be this environmental movement that really stifles um, a lot of development. And I don't know, it just seems a little bit sad when if we keep pushing our, our technological developments that we can do things that are cleaner, like nuclear is, has cleaned up our grid so much. And now we have, I don't know if we have the cleanest grid in the world, but we certainly have a very clean grid relative to the rest of the world in Ontario. Uh, so it will be kind of sad that our emissions are about to go way up in a few years.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, Ontario has one of the cleanest mixed mixed generation grids. Uh, mm-hmm. Pure hydroelectric grids are clean, but, but mixed yeah. mixed generation grids, We have a different mix of a different technology, Ontario is one of the cleanest because we manage we manage the supply mix more intelligently than other people. If we put in renewables, we don't use renewables to displace dependable to 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 displace dependable generation. So so we've done it. More intelligently than other people, but um, but yeah, it it would it would be nice uh, if we could get some uh, new technology developed in nuclear that will allow nuclear to get rid of some of this legacy these legacy problems that were there because of the old uh, water cooled reactor technology from the military days. But um, yeah, you, you know, there's there's some promising uh, promising things happening down the road. Uh, Canada's uh, is um, going to be testing some uh, Gen 4 reactors in the near future at the uh, National Lab at Chalk River, and nice. uh, one of uh, one of one of the designs, one of the Gen 4 designs, is actually being developed by a company that Bill Gates is sponsoring.
0: Hmm, interesting. So the
1: billionaires are are starting to play with the small modular reactors because uh, they see the benefit of the Gen 4 technology, and it's not that expensive for uh, for a billionaire. Uh, the, the big reactors are even too expensive for a billionaire. <laughs> but the, the small modular reactors come in at about a tenth the cost. Uh, so, so it's uh, it's a price that even a billionaire can afford.
0: <laughs> are you saying like if a billionaire wanted to have his own private one or like just so that he could invest in, and build it himself without having a whole bunch of, no, no, you he, know.
1: He, no, 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 he wants to develop a reactor that he can sell around the world. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a bit of talk of it. I I saw Seamus O'Regan tweeted about, I don't know if it was Gen 4 or not. I think it was because he said something about like smaller module um, nuclear reactors. Yeah. Yeah, so
1: modular reactors.
0: And and that's, so he's referring to Gen 4?
1: Yeah. Terra Power is developing actually, I think two, two different uh, Gen 4 designs. um, And uh, he's, he's, lined up a few other rich investors and, uh, and the government is chipping in some money. So hope, hopefully they'll, they'll be successful. Uh, I don't
0: mm-hmm. think
1: Bill generally invests uh, without, without doing so, uh, in a serious way. So, um, you know, if, if he's successful, he'll make a lot of money. He may be the first human being that becomes a trillionaire if he's <laughs> yeah. successful.
0: Mm-hmm. So what are the costs like with a nuclear plant? So you said the government is interested in sort of putting money toward this, it seems like. Um, compared to like building a turbine or building solar panels, I would assume that building a nuclear reactor is just like extremely expensive compared to all other forms of energy production. Is that true?
1: Yeah, it, it is for two reasons. Uh, because you're dealing with a technology that has uh, a very high energy density, you don't, you don't want to do something that causes that energy to be released in an uncontrolled way or you'll do a lot of damage, right? So, so uh, the regulatory requirements are much more uh, difficult and the uh, analytical support for the design of the reactor is very expensive. There is a huge amount of money spent on computer simulation analysis laboratory testing to make sure that everything that goes into the plant is not only of high quality but also uh, the the, the uh, engineering is is uh, as as good as we can make it um, and so the 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 plant the plant is much more expensive uh, because of the high quality assurance uh, required uh, and the high safety assurance that's required of a nuclear plant but once you've built it it has a very low fueling uh, cost because the, the fuel is so energy dense. Uh, you don't you don't need much fuel uh, to run a reactor for a whole year. Um, you know a, fr- a a very very small fraction compared compared to a fossil plant. So um, it has relatively low fuel cost and uh, and it doesn't emit any atmospheric emissions. So so if you're trying to reduce uh, emissions, that that's the technology you want to lean on. At least for your base load demand, the dependable twenty-four hour a day demand, because once you build an expensive plant, you've got to run it flat out if you want to get your money back, right?
0: Mm -hmm, Yeah, and it creates a lot of doing nothing. Yeah, which which sometimes you have to turn it down if we have all of this wind and solar on the grid, right? You're often.
1: Well, no, 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 no. You don't need to do that. You could during the period where you have too much energy, you can make hydrogen. We need hydrogen to uh, upgrade our, our oil, and we need a hydrogen to, uh, you know, you could you could use hydrogen to make fertilizers and, and plastics and what have you. You don't, you don't need necessarily to throw it away. You don't need to or throw fuel. the electricity away.
0: There's a lot of talk mm-hmm. about uh, splitting f- hydrogen for fuel, right?
1: Yeah, you use the surplus electricity when it's available to make mm-hmm. hydrogen. And, and you can even inject hydrogen into the natural gas line and and, uh, reduce the carbon uh, intensity of uh, natural gas. Uh, They've done experiments in uh, Europe and in the United States. Uh, They can handle 5% hydrogen with no change at all to the equipment. You can get up to 20, 25% hydrogen with some adjustment to the burners, the the natural gas burners. And if you want to go 100% hydrogen, then you'd have to change the actual burners themselves. You'd, You'd have to use different burner technology. Because hydrogen has a different uh, flame flame uh, uh, dynamic than, than natural gas, but uh, yeah, so so hydrogen can be used to uh, operate uh, heavy heavy equipment, for example, where batteries are not going to make it. Uh, these are big, big uh, you know off road off road vehicles. Uh, you're not going to be able to charge them charge them up fast enough to to keep them working around the clock. Some of these big. Uh, Big uh, heavy-duty off-road vehicles, but yeah. but hydrogen, uh, you know, hydrogen—you f- you could fill them up like you do uh, a diesel tank, you know, just bring it over and just fill it up. So yeah, hydrogen has a place. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, Alberta just made an announcement the other day that uh, that they wanna they wanna move to a hydrogen uh, economy. Uh, so hopefully they'll be successful. I and here pro- in Ontario, we have surplus energy that we could use to make hydrogen.
0: We have a lot. Yeah, we have a lot of surplus energy. We just did an episode on that. Um, how much? How much we have? Which actually, I wanted to ask you about kind of the the switch, which isn't really a switch at all. But um, so we did this episode on surplus energy. So when the wind is blowing, the sun is shining, we have a lot of energy. So we sell it to other provinces and states that neighbor us in mm-hmm. Ontario. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you try. and then a lot of it gets dumped.
1: Yeah, it's too much to sell, so we dump the rest.
0: Yeah, yeah. So we have definitely a surplus here in Ontario. Um, So I just have this vision of somebody like controlling the switches. Oh, let's turn down the nuclear here and, you know, put the wind on the the grid or something. But that's not really how it works. Can you explain a little bit how we are able to control the different sources?
1: Sure, sure. So so what originally happened is the government uh, bought this relatively expensive solar and wind. And gave those particular companies first rights to the grid, which meant that we're not allowed to turn them down. And so for a while there, a lot of people didn't realize, for a while there, the operators were shutting down nuclear. The Ontario Society of Professional Engineers found out about it and said, are you guys mad? You're shutting down a nuclear plant so that you can get a little wind on the grid. Then when there's there's no wind the next day, the nuclear plant can't come back for three days. Now you're burning natural gas to replace the wind. So I said, you're raising the emissions and you're increasing the cost of fuel because you're running natural gas instead of nuclear. The government uh, didn't realize that they had done that. And after they found out and uh, and the operators confirmed what the engineers were telling them, they changed the rules. So now here in Ontario, when we have too much electricity, we try to export it. If we can't export it all, then we start to shut them down in, in, in what I call the most favorable order. The first to go down when you have too much electricity, of course, is natural gas. So it, it's it's offline when you don't need it. Um, and that's good because you're not emitting any, any uh, emissions. Uh, the the next to go down is hydroelectric. And the reason hydroelectric goes down first is they pay a very high production tax to the government. So if they're not producing, they don't have to pay the tax. So, so the system, well, actually the owners, <laughs> the owners of the hydro plants are happy not to pay the, pay the tax when there's too much power. So they're happy to shut down when there's too much power. Then after that, they shut down wind and solar when there's too much and, and finally, if there's still too much, then they'll shut down a nuclear plant. But, uh, well, actually, I should say the, the, the Bruce plant is able to reduce power about 30, 35%. So the, the Bruce reactors are powered down first. And if they have to go further than they're able to power down, then they'll shut down a nuclear plant. But that's the last thing that we do because we don't want to lose the plant for three days because then the next day, if the wind and the solar disappear, uh, if the plant can't come back, then you're firing on natural gas, which is terrible. So, so uh, those rules were changed in uh, 2013 and, uh, and they did some fine tuning to the rules in 2016. So now Ontario actually has uh, what I call a, 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 an optimum strategy for dealing with surplus electricity. But what I would like to do personally is to see that excess electricity not turned down, but used for displacing fossil fuels that we're using for making hot water all day long, or space heating, or making hydrogen to produce hydrogen with electrolysis rather than using uh, natural gas to make hydrogen. Because right now in Ontario, we make a lot of hydrogen in Sarnia using natural gas. We split the molecule. And uh, we take the hydrogen and throw the carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. Every every kilogram of hydrogen produces twelve kilograms of CO2. So it's a dirty process. I'd I'd like to see the uh, the surplus electricity used to make that hydrogen, so that we can upgrade our oil or other other things that we use hydrogen for, like cooling generators. Big generators use hydrogen cooling. We can we can use clean clean hydrogen instead of dirty hydrogen. But it's going to take a little while because the government hasn't uh, changed the uh, pricing policy right now. They charge way way too much for surplus electricity there, there in Ontario. If, if you're in Ontario you have to pay at least eight cents a kilowatt hour for surplus electricity. but if you're in New York, Quebec or Michigan you can buy it for a penny.
0: Yeah, it's not fair no, yeah. no. And,
1: and, and it's our own it's our own silliness in terms of how we set our retail prices. Uh, The the government is not willing to sell surplus electricity to Ontario residents at the same price that they're selling it to New York, Michigan, and Quebec. It's, 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 in my view, it's disgraceful. But until they make that decision to change the way they price uh, retail electricity when it's surplus, um, uh, that's going to be dumped. Uh, Nobody's going to pay $0.08 a kilowatt hour for surplus electricity to make hydrogen. It's just not economic. You know, but us, it's, it's us suckers at it's home cheaper. have to pay it <laughs> we're all yeah, paying it at I mean, home yeah it's too well, bad I I, I I was willing to put in a dual fuel water heater if if they gave me the price plan but they haven't given me the price plan yet so one of these days uh, if they come around and and, and change the pricing uh, pricing uh, system then i'd be happy to upgrade my water heater
0: and that's what uh, the Ontario Society of Professional Engineers is working on right now. Is trying to to change these prices to make it more fair for Ontario. So that's that's a good thing. Um, and I think are you part of that association as well? I think you are. Are you what? Work-
1: I, 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 yeah, I, I'm a member, and I, I, I one time I was their president for a year. Yeah, we we've been working on energy policy for about ten years. And and they I I should I should mention that the government has has incorporated a number of our recommendations, but the the big ones like changing the way electricity is priced is a tough, is a tough sell because in the past, whenever they changed electricity prices, somebody got fired. (laughs) So they're all, they're all terrified that they're going to make a mistake and uh, they'll get fired. So, uh, so I think, I think uh, we have a bad history of playing with the electricity prices in a dumb way. And some poor guy getting fired, Uh, usually the politician. (laughs) So, so they're ty- they're terrified of touching electricity prices, but there's some things that are you know perfectly reasonable. Like why throw this stuff away? You could you could sell it to people in Ontario for a penny and let them use it to something useful, like like making hot water or or, or making hydrogen or or displacing fossil fuels. I don't mind displacing my natural gas uh, for heating if if the surplus electricity is available. I'm happy to put the electric heaters on. When, when there's surplus electricity at night. At night, we have lots of surplus electricity. Let me use the electric heaters at night. I'll use the gas furnace during the day. You follow?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think it'd be nice if we could just have access to it a little bit at home for sure. And uh, it would save us all a lot of money. Because that's a big complaint that we hear in Ontario is they say, you know, the wind government ruined the the energy grid or something but i'm not really sure why people say that because it seems like we really cleaned it up which is a good thing it's just that prices are very yeah. expensive and i think that's the big well, the big they, problem yeah
1: yeah the, the 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 fundamental mistake they made was when they brought in renewables they didn't realize that renewables cannot carry the baseload. and after the renewables came on and started causing problems like like forcing nuclear off the grid. That was crazy. Uh, but over over a period of time, they corrected some of the, the, the big mistakes they made. But unfortunately, once you've signed these contracts, you're stuck for 20 years. And so the price is baked in. So the price went up. Even though we're, we're operating the system more intelligently today, uh, the, the price is baked into the contracts and, and, and the contracts have been signed. They put on way too much uh, wind and solar because we didn't have the storage, Ontario doesn't have a lot of storage on the grid. Quebec has one year of storage on their grid. They can store water for a year. Yeah, oh, they have huge right. reservoirs. Yeah, they have good huge point. reservoirs because they operate mm. on hydroelectric all year round. They have to have massive amounts of storage. In Ontario, we decided not to flood all the river basins because a lot of native uh, uh, Aboriginal. Uh, people had their homes in those in those river basins. so we didn't want to flood all of Ontario. Mm-hmm. So we we use run of the river plants primarily. Just take the water as it came. We didn't try to store a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Now that's good for for environmental and for community purposes for the Aboriginals, but it means you have no storage capability for renewables. So you need storage if you're going to put renewables on the grid. And we didn't have the storage. The government decided to put the renewables on without buying the storage because when they found out the price of the storage, they said, this is crazy, we're not going to put storage on. Well, if you don't put the storage on, you're going to waste it because mm-hmm. it's come it comes when you can't use it. So, So if you don't have the storage, don't put it on. Mm-hmm. But they went ahead and put it on because they wanted to create green jobs not realizing that if you don't use it, that's money that's going to go down the drain. Anyway, yeah. so what we ended up in the, in the end was a, 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 a more intelligent operation of the system that we have. But that means that most, not most, but a good chunk of the of the wind and solar that was paid for with, with high contract prices is being wasted, which is unfortunate. But uh, yeah. that's what happens when you don't talk to the engineers before you redesign the electrical system. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and maybe push it through too quickly or something because it's 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 quite sad for me to see that you know windmills and solar panels aren't really doing what we thought they were going to do when we were younger. We had good hopes, I think, of a world that was powered by wind and solar. And now that we see that they don't really work very well, I kind of say like if you're going to put up a solar panel or wind turbine in Ontario, you're basically just wasting it because it's just going to go to surplus probably. Do Do you think that that's true or am I being like?
1: No, no. If we have the new pricing regime, which the engineers are trying to get the government to put in place, then all the surplus wind and all the surplus solar will be used productively either Mm -hmm. to make hydrogen or to make hot water or to make space heating. So if we change the retail pricing, then all of that energy will be used. Now, the problem is that surplus electricity in North America is sold at about a penny. And we're paying a lot more than a penny for those contracts. So most of the money will still be wasted, but at least we're not wasting the energy. Right now, we're wasting both the money and the energy, which is crazy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's so sad to see these things happen when when I think things were good intentions. But I also worry about our government going to give, like our federal government going to give out more contracts to green energy. And I, I hope they don't Go more wind and solar, but all the provinces are different. Uh, you know, Alberta still uses a lot of coal, so who knows? We'll see. We'll see what happens in the next few years. I well, guess.
1: We, yeah, the engineers wrote a. The Ontario engineers wrote a report. It's called uh, Ontario's Energy Dilemma. If you Google that, you'll get a report, and in it are the lessons learned from the experiment we did here in Ontario on putting renewables into a grid that didn't have enough storage to accommodate it.
0: Was that the document that proposes the price changes for surplus? Because I read that document. No, no. It was a
1: bit- That's a more recent one, trying to change yeah. the pricing so we don't waste it.
0: Mm-hmm. The
1: original one, well, sorry, there was an original document that we were trying to convince the government not to put in as much wind and solar. This is the engineers. It, it's called on, um, wind and the electrical grid. So if you Google wind and the electrical grid, you'll get the original 2012 report that basically told the at that time liberal government, please don't put so much wind and solar on the grid because we have no storage to use it. Wow. And They uh, ignored us, obviously. And, oh, my uh, goodness. And of course, then, yeah. And then several years later, when they started to see the problems, and they sat down with us, and we made all these changes to how the how the surplus will be handled, because we were stuck with the surplus. So how are, how should we handle it so we don't shut the nukes and make the situation even worse?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Wow! So so that got that got cleaned up, but unfortunately the contracts were signed uh, and the twenty-year uh, clock hasn't run out on those contracts yet. So so if you're going to put in renewables, you've got to do one of two things: you've either got to put in the storage to make it work properly, and pay for it. Or you've got to find some load that's flexible, so that if there's no wind, the load is gone. If there is wind, the load is on. And one, one that's coming along now. There's not that many because we didn't we, we didn't buy too many electric cars. But electric cars are a perfect flexible load that can use wind and solar uh, intermittent generation because the car 90% of the time the car is just sitting doing nothing whether it's plugged in at work or plugged in at home it can grab the wind and the solar when it's available and charge the battery and then when you need the car it's fully charged so the, the 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 marriage of electric vehicles with wind and solar is a perfect marriage made in heaven the problem is right now we don't have the smart the smart controllers to tell the the car hey there's wind today go ahead and charge or there's no wind today don't charge you follow yeah, I wish there was an app but for that. Yeah, well, there will be. There will be. The, uh, I think several several countries are are looking at at uh, improving smart smart uh, charging uh, apps. And uh, at some point, we'll have an app that that can can uh, tell you when there is or there is not a surplus wind and solar, and then you'll charge your car at that particular time. Let the car charge. It's always plugged in, so let it let it charge when the wind and the solar are available. Then you're not wasting. You're not wasting uh, the the stuff, and uh, mm-hmm. and you can maximize its value to to the uh, environment.
0: So, do you think that it's best, in your opinion, to just go to natural gas in Ontario, like we're going to in 2024 when Pickering shuts down, or do you think it's best to build another reactor?
1: Well, between between friends, the electricity prices in Ontario are are, are much higher than they should be. Uh, and I think people right now are price, price conscious or price sensitive. Mm-hmm. So I would say for the short term, because we're way below the the emission levels for almost every other country in the world, uh, yeah. except maybe for France. So we're such good Boy Scouts that, that we can afford <laughs> basically to do a little more emitting to keep our electricity prices low while we develop the Gen 4 reactors. Then when the Gen 4 reactors are ready to come out in volume, which is about 2030, then we can start bringing the Gen 4 reactors to replace that old Pickering capacity that would have been shut down for several years and gradually phase back back down on the gas. We'll still need the gas for backup in case of a disaster because uh, uh, there isn't a, a better uh, reserve generation than natural gas if you don't run it because there's no problem, it doesn't emit anything and if it's there's a disaster on the grid like a tornado or a winter storm that breaks the transmission line, and we can't get the power moving around to where it has to go. Uh, natural gas is a perfect uh, generation source that can come in during an emergency, protect the public from a safety point of view. they get their electricity, and then when the disaster is over. They back off, and the nuke comes back on. You follow?
0: It's a lot. It's a lot cleaner than coal, and uh, I've heard that the startup, yeah. the startup of a gas power plant, can be a lot. Like you said, nuclear, it takes about three days to get back to the the full capacity potential. But with gas plants, does it take a long time to rev up the plant again to the, the full cold, capacity?
1: If yeah, if it's cold, it takes anywhere from about four to eight hours. Um, but if <laughs> it's hot, you can come up in thirty minutes.
0: Oh, wow. That's very so, fast then. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, so if, if you shut it down and cooled it off because you don't think you'll need it for a few weeks, and then there's a disaster like an ice storm, then you need, you need to give it about eight hours to warm up. Because if you, go, if you start up too fast, you can break equipment.
0: So the gas is going to be a lot cheaper, but what about with the carbon tax? Is that going to be putting the natural well, gas prices up to nuclear prices?
1: Well, it depends on the carbon tax. I, I'm, I'm, look, I'm, I'm ambivalent about whether we should use regulations like we did in Ontario, or whether we should use a market system like carbon pricing. Uh, the carbon pricing, if you don't have something to protect low-income people, it could be pretty painful for people that don't make a lot of money. Yeah. So it's it's yeah. it's important. It's important that when you decide whether you do it through regulation or you do it through a market mechanism like carbon pricing or cap and trade. That you recognize who's going to get hurt and then provide some relief for those people. Otherwise, you're going to get mutiny in, in, on the streets, right? <laughs> so, so it's, it's it's important for politicians to understand the damage they do when they roll out a policy. If if you're going to do it with regulations, you won't have the carbon price problem, but you'll have other problems. Like if 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 you use regulations uh, like we did to wipe out coal. That was fine. But then you, you you have to replace it with something. You, you can't just take the coal plants off and and not replace it with something. So they, they went out and, and they spent a lot of money on more nuclear, more gas, more renewables, which is fine. But then you've got to be careful of the mix. And they picked the wrong mix. They picked too much intermittent without the storage. And the result was they had a lot of waste and prices went up. So now people are losing their jobs. Because manufacturing yeah. is leaving the province yeah so it's bad yeah so so you've got to, there's a lot of moving parts in our economy so when when you roll out a policy you have to understand where all the moving parts are so that you can you can compensate for for the negative impact or you can protect people from the negative impact but you can't just blindly roll out a policy and hope for the best and then when the roof caves in you say, well geez. It's too complicated. It's not that complicated if you do your analysis before you roll it out.
0: Okay, so last question then, and I'll I'll let you go here because I've kept you for a long time. But if anyone's listening, uh, there's a lot of young people that listen to the show. They are possibly interested in a career in nuclear. So do you have any advice for anyone wanting to get into nuclear or get involved?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think nuclear power is here to stay. Um, it'll take a little while to get it booming again like it was in the 60s and 70s. But there are tons of different kinds of jobs in nuclear. And if your passion is energy and, and, and you and you like nuclear energy in particular, then I say follow your passion.'ll uh, you'll, you'll, uh, even if, if, if nuclear doesn't take off at, at some point, what you learn in, in, in following a nuclear career and studying for a nuclear career, you can transfer to other energy supply, and uh, and if nuclear does take off, the good news is it's got all kinds of different kinds of jobs for just about everybody uh, in a nuclear plant. Uh, you, the the job The job list at a nuclear plant is 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 like the job list for a big a big city. It's uh, you know there, there's there's engineers and managers, scientists, technicians, tradespeople. There's medical staff. There's information technology staff finance staff, human relations, public relations, office and industrial support staff, and we even have food services staff because people have to eat. There's 500 people at a nuclear plant and so they got to be fed. So there's tons of jobs in the nuclear uh, business. That's one of the benefits of building a nuclear plant is you've got guaranteed jobs for 60 years, two or three generations of jobs. So so uh, I'm I'm a big fan of nuclear as long as I said as long as you 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 have a good safety culture in the organizations that build and operate the plants and that that uh, you you take care of the uh, radioactive waste intelligently and 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 make sure that they're sequestered and and, uh, and and stored properly and then there isn't there isn't a problem you can enjoy the ample dependable energy that comes out of nuclear without the, 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 the hazards or the, the risks that people worry about.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Well, this has been really cool and I've learned a lot once again. So I love learning about this stuff because I don't want to say I'm for or against something unless I know all of the background behind it. Right. So uh, I have learned in the last little while that nuclear, I think is very important and that it is a good answer to a clean grid. But as you say, there are a lot of other things to consider. So not just safety and waste, but things like jobs and things like costs to people and people losing their jobs, you know, if it gets way too expensive. um, There's a lot of things that go on with it. Uh, So this has been a great conversation. So thank you very much, Paul.
1: Thanks, uh, Laura, for inviting me and uh, you have a nice day.
0: Awesome. That was Paul Accioni. He has over 48 years in the nuclear and fossil fuel energy industry here in Ontario.
1: Change starts now. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast.